This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.42 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is the 6th of April. Welcome to Holy Week, y'all, for anybody who's following that. Yesterday was Palm Sunday. Uh, I'm pretty sure a lot of people uh, did not go to church, uh, unlike what the news media is trying to portray, okay? So, yeah, just because some people decided that they were going to do that doesn't mean that you should pretty much hold the entire uh, church-going community, no matter what the religion, like, as some kind of weird evil thing. There was a lot of us that did not go to that, to uh, Palm Sunday services. Okay. And I haven't missed one in, was it seven years, something like that. And not going to Easter services either. All right. So just, you know, (laughs) some of us are doing it anyway. This is episode 228 of Bitcoin, and this is the one thing that shitcoiners ignore. The speed of confirmation. This tweet's coming to you from Price Smith. That would be at Price Smith 8, all one word, except for the number 8, which is actually a number and not spelled out 8. And Price is reminding us that uh there's a or he's taken a screenshot of how many comps.com and that stands for how many confirmations and for those that are new to the world of bitcoin and possibly sh- other shit coineries um <clears throat> a confirmation is how many times a block has your uh god your transaction has been included in a block and then that block is hashed into another block and into another block and into another block into another block. And it happens in Bitcoin every 10 minutes. And we feel that we that our transactions are fairly safe. And it's completely arbitrary, by the way. The number six, I don't even remember where that came from. I, I'm pretty sure it was Satoshi Nakamoto. I don't believe that it was in the white paper. I think it came after. And it was just an arbitrary number when somebody was asking, well, how many of these confirmations do I need that... Uh, I won't be double spent or somebody can hijack the transaction and, and all that stuff. Well, it's about six, which takes at 10 minutes per block to be minted. It takes about an hour. Okay. That's if everything's going real, you know, really well uh, for uh, t- six trans or six blocks to be minted. So when you're about six blocks deep, the amount of cash that it would take to, um, <laughs> to reverse your particular transaction is kind of ridiculous. So that's why we don't worry about it after a few transactions or uh, rather a a few confirmations. But uh, Price is reminding us that, you know, while it takes in this screenshot, it's the estimated time for six confirmations on the Bitcoin blockchain is 54 minutes and 18 seconds. The same type, the same level of security that you have to have for uh, Ethereum takes you six hours and 29 minutes. Bcash is one day in three hours. BSV is one day in 18 hours. Litecoin is one day in 13 hours. Dash is eight days, people. Ethereum Classic is four days and 18 hours. Zcash is two days and 19 hours. I love this one. Bitcoin Gold. Oh, yo, joy. Do you remember Bitcoin Gold? I remember Bitcoin Gold. And I've never claimed my Bitcoin Gold somewhere one of these days I might do it just for grins, but I just honestly, I can't be bothered right now, but it takes, it would take 40 days for my transaction. If I were to send Bitcoin gold around the horn, 40 days to achieve the same level of security as Bitcoin does in one hour. Again, this is the thing that shit coiners ignore. And that's a direct quote from Price Smith. Thank you, Price Smith, for giving us that reminder 
about shitcoinery and why it sucks. Blue Wallet taps HODL HODL for private P2P Bitcoin trading. The new local trade update <coughs> gives Blue Wallet users a way to privately trade Bitcoin from their smartphones. Okay, Frank Cardona, or Cardona, writing this one for Decrypt.co. This was back in April the 3rd. Okay, well, okay, for Friday. But, all right. I missed it on Friday, so I'm giving it to you now. Want to buy and sell Bitcoin without revealing your identity? Well, sure, don't we? Oh, my God. Well, there's a mobile app for that. The team behind Blue Wallet is an open source and Bitcoin-focused mobile wallet released Local Trader on Friday. An integration for private peer-to-peer trading through Huddle Huddle. Blue Wallet users on iOS and Android are now able to browse P2P offers for Bitcoin directly in the Blue Wallet app, meaning that they no longer have to go on a separate desktop browser exchange to trade. Quote, Blue Wallet has 60,000 downloads, Huddle Huddle, the CEO Max Kidun told Decrypt. So with this one integration, we will be able to bring thousands of new people to KYC-free, non-custodial P2P trading. Kaidun further stated that adding the service to the mobile app is the next big step. In BTC mass adoption and the next step in adoption of P2P trading. That's right. With Blue Wallet, users can trade on Huddle Huddle with just an email address that doesn't have to be linked to their identity. Burner. <coughs> excuse me. Pardon me. Excuse me. <clears throat> users can then search to uh, or post offers by country type. Uh, payment option and currency for exchange. Huddle Huddle also said it's working with Blue Wallet to add new features like in-app contracts and more advanced trading features. This is another step in Blue Wallet's uh, preparation for war to give users a hedge against all regulated exchanges going bad with know your customer and anti-money laundering surveillance. Most big exchanges now require buyers and sellers to reveal their identity. Other formerly private P2P exchanges like Paxful and Local Bitcoins have succumbed, spineless bastards, to pressures from authorities to do identity checks on users. As far, oh, sorry, as for concerns about how authorities might react to this, Hoddle Hoddle said it has a backup plan if needed. Quote, we are non-custodial, thus we don't hold or process any funds. And by that, we are not subject to regulation, Kaidun said. Quote, there might be problems in the future, but we have plan B, plan C, and other plans to tackle these issues and create censorship-resistant and efficient trading. So, guys, without KYC, you can do this shit direct in the blue wallet uh, wallet. That's interesting. I, I'm really, I'm rather excited about this. Do remember... Blue Wall, Blue Wallet uh, is custodial, uh, and unless I, I don't know if Blue Wallet is yet able to connect up to uh, directly to your own node. If it is, then it can become non-custodial. Uh, I know that it will hook up to your Lightning, uh, your Lightning node. So from that standpoint, on the Lightning side, I know Blue Wallet can be non-custodial if you so choose. Nice to see how those connections uh, start occurring. You come out with a custodial wallet. Uh, everybody bitches. Oh, it's custodial. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And if you guys would just freaking wait, then these people start building out solutions that are non-custodial. Honestly, to me, it's not a bad way to start to start the whole damn thing out when you think about it, right? I mean... All you really do is you you gen, make your wallet, make it good, make the use you know work on user experience, work on speed, work on all the stuff that makes it slick, and then after it's released and you market the shit out of it and you get people using it, start getting non-custodial solutions into your wallet so that people have a choice. There are always going to be people that don't want to hold their own Bitcoin. I get it. In fact, I think uh, many Bitcoins, Bitcoiners out there do get that, all right? So I don't really bitch all that much about people who want to hold the, their Bitcoin through a third party. I don't think you should. I don't think, it's, I don't think that's leveraging the system uh, in a very efficient manner. Uh, and I think that it opens you up to a whole lot of pain down the line. But hey, 
If that's your choice, you should have the freedom to exercise that choice. And I ain't going to bitch about it. All right. So let's move on to YouTuber gets banned by Western Union for life. Bitcoin fixes this. This is Trevor Smith writing April the 4th for Bitcoinist.com. Trevor says, a business owner has posted a YouTube video asserting that Western Union inexplicably banned him for life as a result of his dealings in Central Africa. Bitcoin fixes this. In the video, Ben Taylor, a.k.a. Pleasant Green, discusses the establishment of a photography business in Africa that included charity work. He asserts that for over three years, he used Western Union to send money to Liberia without incident. However, after attempting to wire funds elsewhere on the continent, the money transfer firm first blocked his transfer and then informed him that he had been banned for life. And then they give the link to the YouTube video, which we're not going to do. But Taylor notes that he went to great lengths to prove to the money transfer business that he was not a scammer and did not work with scammers. Nevertheless, he has been given no explanation as to why he is no longer permitted to use its services. The author states 14 B. Oh, sorry. <clears throat> sorry. An advertisement got in my way. God dang it. Bitcoinist. <clears throat> Uh, quote, I didn't want to make this video, but I've got to give an explanation to my people who are going to start wondering why our business is drying up and why I can no longer employ them or help them. So now I'm going to be looking into other things like Bitcoin and mobile money to keep things going. In another video posted two weeks ago, Taylor discusses the beginning of the ordeal, which involved attempting to send money to an African woman who published a book in an attempt to raise money for a needed surgery. In this video, he plays a transcript of his bewildering attempts to get answers as to why the transfer was blocked. He also outlines a second equally frustrating encounter with MoneyGram. <laughs> who would have guessed? High fees and complex business practices have long been a hallmark of money transfer services. Citizens of underdeveloped nations are most burdened by these issues as they most frequently rely on those companies for financial services. It is for this reason that cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin are growing rapidly in these regions, and God knows if these people were smart, they would not use anything but Bitcoin. That's all you need. Blockchain architecture enables Bitcoin to be sent rapidly, and without the Byzantine processes required by companies like Western Union, kind of not the best out. Oh, I won't get into it. Byzantine is the thing, okay? It, it is in Bitcoin. So just, they're using it wrong. Bitcoin's decentralized architecture makes it open for anyone to use and transactions cannot be blocked or reversed. More importantly, Bitcoin can be sent for a tiny fraction of the cost of legacy methods. For now, guys, okay? For now. Be aware, at one point or another, we're going to need fees to keep this shit afloat, all right? It, that's just going to need to happen. What you're looking for is security and a money that cannot be pissed on by somebody in a suit and tie. That's what you're looking for. Honestly, future fees, I, I'm not going to worry about them. What I'm going to worry more about is people like Roger Ver saying, you know what? We need more than 21 million Bitcoin. Ah, whatever. Let's finish this one off. Given their advantages, it is only a matter of time before blockchain assets such as Bitcoin achieve mass use. For people that rely on Western Union, that day cannot come soon enough. Yeah, indeed, Bitcoin fixes this shit. Uh, just I, and there's no reason to use any other uh, any other currency. So I hate it when Bitcoin says stuff like Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies because it's just sort of misleading. But whatever, <clears throat> one person who is never misleading, he may have shit wrong, but he's never misleading. Ex-Goldman Sachs executive shifts portfolio to Bitcoin, warns worst insolvency event in history is coming. Daily Hodel staff writing for Daily Hodel April the 6th. That would be today. Raul Paul, <clears throat> or is it Pal? Raul Pal. I'm R-A-O-U-L-P-A-L. You guys know him. He's been around for a while. I just can't pronounce his name. But Ral Pal, a former he Europe hedge fund sales lead at Goldman Sachs, is preparing for the financial system to enter a massive world of hurt. <clears throat> In a recent Linzenity podcast with host Howard Linzen, the investment strategist and founder of Global Macro Investor uh, and Real Vision Group predicts a 20% plunge in equities in the short term before a three or four month bounce. 
But in the long run, Powell expects many companies to go belly up as the novel coronavirus cripples multiple sectors of the economy. Quote, I think the balance of probabilities are that this is a much longer event in terms of economic impacts. And I think it's going to be the largest insolvency event in all of history. End quote. Powell believes that the incoming crisis will be so bad that it will permanently change the psyche of the next generation. Quote, this is a generational change. What it does is the younger generation will look upon everything differently forever. They will look upon with some suspicion the pension system, which is going to fail in this. They're going to look across securities markets in ways that they will think this is just not for me. They will have different opinions on risk and savings than previous generations. End quote. To illustrate how an entire generation's attitude towards the financial system can change, Powell says, look to millennials. Quote, millennials have already been scarred by 2000 and 2008. They don't trust the financial system. They will reject what went before them, and they will embrace things that are new and different. End quote. To protect himself from the aftershocks of the coronavirus pandemic, Powell reveals that he is shifting a significant portion of his wealth into Bitcoin. Quote, of the liquid net cash that I have available, my allocation that I want to be in for the next 12 months, probably maybe longer, is 25% Bitcoin, 25% gold, 25% cash, and 25% trading opportunity. And that's going to do it for the bit, for the daily hodl thing. Um, not a bad position. I mean, I like I said, I don't have a problem with metals. And I certainly don't have a problem with gold. I really don't. The only problem that I have with gold is that it's not easily transportable and it certainly isn't easily divisible out in the field. If you're trying to do a transaction and you've got a bar of gold, I mean, come on, how are they going to make change? If you're, if you're trying to buy an apple and you've got a bar of gold, you're not going to trade that bar of gold for the apple, even though you want the apple and you certainly have enough money for that apple. See what I'm saying here? But gold does have its place. I really do. I believe that gold has its place. I think, you know, I'm not a big fan of cash right now. Well, I'm I'm actually a big fan of cash right now, but only right now because that cash, I don't know what's going to happen to cash. I really don't. It's kind of a, it's the whole thing is so ephemeral. It could just go poof, honestly. But the only thing that really doesn't go poof is Bitcoin and gold. Bitcoin has the beauty of being able to transact with anybody in the world that can get to a computer and has a wallet. Gold does not have that ability, but it's a pretty hard freaking asset. Just saying, uh, you know, but equities, I mean, hell, I've been wondering, I've been screaming about equity valuations for a long time, you know, to anybody that, <clears throat> anybody that would listen. I mean, Uber, when it was valued at billions of dollars and they didn't have anything but a couple of desks and a freaking stapler and some servers in a back room somewhere that they probably rented, by the way, and it probably wasn't even their room that they were doing it on. They were probably doing it on Amazon Cloud. They didn't have it. There's no, there's no equity in the business. It's just an idea. It's just a central hub for somebody to be able to flag down a ride. Hell, you any any other idiot can do that. In fact, I'll bet you right now that there's a lot of people working on an Uber-like system that they have absolutely no intention of running to make a billion dollars. Because honestly, it if you really think about what goes on with Uber, how difficult is that? Honestly. I mean, it's a great idea. And having that idea and being able to implement it the first time, I get it. But valuing uber at billions of dollars come on man and uh uh just uh, sorry i just it pisses me off sometimes but dark web marketplace bans the sale of fake covid-19 vaccines for bitcoin heroin fentanyl you can still get but god forbid you get a fake <laughs> a fake vaccine for covid right <clears throat> Monopoly markets block sellers from marketing goods as coronavirus vaccines, but some dark websites are still shilling mystery concoctions in exchange for crypto. This is Andrew Hayward writing sometime yesterday for Decrypt.co says dark web marketplace called Monopoly Market has banned or reportedly banned the sale of purported novel coronavirus vaccines and cures in exchange for cryptocurrency. Author Aline Ormsby, who has written books about the dark web, 
tweeted a post written by Monopoly Market Administrator about the site's COVID-19 policy, quote, any vendor caught flogging goods as a cure to coronavirus will not only be permanently removed from this market, but should be avoided like the Spanish flu, the administrator wrote. You are about to ingest drugs from a stranger on the internet. Under no circumstances should you trust a vendor that is using COVID-19 as a marketing tool to peddle tangible slash already questionable goods. What? Like drugs? I mean, come on. (laughs) It's not like dark markets only sell drugs. Even I get that. But dude, you gotta, I mean, the irony here is is priceless. All right. Another post snippet shared by Ormsby expanded on the site's policy of not using the pandemic to market any items, whether it's drugs, masks, toilet paper, none of that bullshit. The post reads, we have class here. Only the best fentanyl for you, pal. The Independent reports that Monopoly Markets accepts Bitcoin and Monero. And while that site has shut down coronavirus-related sales, other dark web markets are still listing so-called COVID-19 vaccines that sellers claim are fully tested and verified. One site, Agartha, listed a $300 coronavirus vaccine composed of amphetamines, cocaine, and nicotine, according to The Independent. Currently, there is no confirmed vaccine for COVID-19, although there are about 20 different vaccine projects in the works, including seven funded by Microsoft co-founder Bill Gates. It could be 18 months or more for a vaccine to be tested and approved for human use, then prepared and rolled out in mass. Chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine, a pair of drugs used to treat ailments such as malaria, lupus, and arthritis, have also been found on dark web markets after U.S. President Donald Trump called them potential game changers in treating COVID-19. A report from NPR suggests that hydroxychloroquine clinical trials only recently began for COVID-19 and that no results have been reported as of yet, except for that whole French study, but we won't get into that, will we? Decrypt recently wrote about how the COVID-19 pandemic is driving drug users to the dark web where Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies can be used to score a fix during a time of social distancing. All right. So again, the irony is not lost on me here. However, dude, don't go buy shit off of a dark, dark web for stuff for COVID because chances are really good. The seller's reputation is probably either non-existent or a bad rating, honestly. And Generally speaking, I would suggest that the seller's reputation would be non-existent because it's probably a new account because they're already selling on the dark web other things and they don't want anything to interfere with that particular business, such as selling like fake shit, because that's going to end up screwing with their reputation on the fine quality heroin that they have for sale or the top-notch fentanyl, right? So I'm just saying. Stay away from the COVID shit on dark webs. Honestly, stay, kids, don't do drugs. It's actually pretty easy. I, okay, it's not easy if you've already been doing drugs. I get that. If you can not develop a heroin addiction, I highly recommend it, honestly. Okay, let's get into some circus news. Steam soft forks to freeze. 17.6 million tokens held by former witnesses. Now, this one is related to the whole Steam debacle. Let's see where it goes. This was written sometime this morning by Samuel Haig for Cointelegraph.com. <clears throat> Tensions between Steam and the Hive community. It sure as hell does. Continue to escalate with Steam executing a software to freeze up to 20 accounts owned by the network's former witnesses. The frozen accounts hold 17.6 million Steam, worth approximately $3.2 million U.S., and equating to nearly 5% of Steam's total supply. On April the 4th, the soft fork was proposed in a Steemit post authored by the new account Softwork2288. In response to the purported uncertain threat that the leaders and main influencers of Hive Represented to the Steam blockchain, the the Steam blockchain, the fork sanctioned roughly no more than 20 accounts that meet three criteria. Quote, accounts that ran the version of 0.23 during the hard fork on Steam and were still in the top 20 rank shortly before the hard fork. Accounts that proxied or directly voted to more than 10 witnesses running the version 0.23 on the Steam blockchain during the hard fork with high influence 
and accounts directly associated with operating these accounts. The author states that community support for the soft fork is needed in order to protect Steam. With the post taking aim at the former top Steam witnesses, the user emphasizes that 50% of the witnesses were running a hostile version 0.23 of Steam prior to the hard fork being executed, warning, quote, If that status had been kept that way, it could have resulted in breaking the Steam blockchain because these witnesses would not work anymore for the Steam blockchain directly after the hard fork. Quote, as the top consensus witnesses, the duty and task would have been to maintain the integrity of the Steam blockchain, but it was decided to abandon the chain they promised to protect, in quote, the post asserts. On March 20th, <clears throat> Hive hard forked off from Steam after weeks of growing tensions following Justin Sun's purchase of Steam at Inc. and 20% of Steam supply in February. The new fork would airdrop Hive tokens at a one-to-one ratio to all Steam holders, with the exception of the 20% founders rewarded a reward acquired by Sun. Oh man, again, the circus. On April the 6th, the price of Hive suddenly plummeted 50% over one hour after consolidating at approximately 0.0, oh, okay, 17 and a half cents for roughly one week with daily volume steadily hovering between $30,000 and $50,000 on Bitrix, record 24-hour volume over $350,000 led to a crash down to 8.7 cents. Good God. Hive is trading at 12 and a half cents as of press time. The suspiciously timed dump has driven the price of Hive below the value of Steam for the first time since the hard fork with Steam currently trading at 17 and a half cents. So again, you know, when Steam first came out and I was still enamored by the potential of shit coinery, uh, yes, I got an account on Steam and I haven't actually logged into Steam I, I probably have forgotten my login information, all right, um, and and probably have forgotten where where and if I wrote it down because we it was all so heady back in the 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 day the dark times, Harry. It was dark times, right? Uh, and again, I haven't. I, I wrote a couple of you know, made a couple of posts. I kept up with it for a while, and and then I just kind of got high and wandered off, honestly, because Bitcoin is a hell of a drug. And it really does. It just kind of, it, it kind of, cat. once it captured me, I just lost interest in everything else. But let's say that I was able to go to Steam. Which Steam would I be going to? I mean, honestly, think about what I would have to weed, like the, the weeds that I would be off in trying to figure out, well, which one do I go to? How do I get my shit off of one? Which is the one that I'm supposed to get off of? And now it looks like there may be ongoing strife that God only knows it could result in yet another fork. I mean, so now I got to what? I got to navigate three of these sons of bitches. And that actually assumes I give a shit and I don't. You see, when I say this is why I Bitcoin, I'm not lying. This is exactly why I Bitcoin. That's going to do it. For Morning Roundup, the snooze you can use number one. Let's start here with some traditional markets. Let's see what's going on with CNBC.com. Everything's in the green. Uh, Man, there's some, some gains with a Z, bro. S&P 500 is up five and uh, five and a fifth percent. NASDAQ is up 5%. Dow Jones is up 5%. Uh, FTSE is up 3%. Nikkei is up 4%. And the uh, Hang Seng Index is up 2.2%. So everything's in the green. Uh, bonds are all in the green except for the UK 10-year. It was up earlier, but uh, it is now down. Its yield is 033 uh, the U.S. 30-year bond is still yielding around 1.25%. The three-month U.S. bond is yielding a tenth of a percent. And the German bond is still fleecing people for half a per- almost half a percent. Oil is down 4.66%. Its last was $27 a barrel, just in case you're following that kind of stuff. 
Bitcoin's had a run, <clears throat> 7,144. Looks like our high is going to be over, yeah, at bit asset at 7,224. And we've got a low chilling out over at coins bit at 7,138. So fairly tight trading range. 279,000 transactions have been performed in the last 24 hours, yielding about 12,000 transactions per hour on average. 926,000 BTC were sent in that 24-hour period with 38,500 BTC being sent on average per hour. Average transaction value is 3.31 BTC, while the median transaction value is 0.027 BTC or right around 200 bucks. Block times are low according to bitinfocharts.com. It's 8 minutes and 50 seconds. We have 0.1 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 17.3 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We've had a 0.13% increase in hash rate, bringing us to 112.5 exahashes per second. We'll have to square that with what my node says here in a little bit. But the last time nobody did anything on Bitcoin apparently was oh, sometime today. Yeah, because, you know, no development at all is ever going on on Bitcoin. Ethereum is at 161. Bcash is at 246. BSV is at 184. Litecoin is at 43. Ethereum Classic is at five and a quarter. Dogecoin got a bump, 0 0.0019. And at 30,000 transactions in the last 24 hours, it's only beating Litecoin somehow or another. Bcash has got some of its transactions back, but not, uh, usually they're averaging like 60,000 transactions a day. This is, I'm getting this one at uh, 44,000 transactions. So, eh, whatever. Not that it really freaking matters, but let's see what my node has to say about the hash rate. Yeah, my node is telling me that the network has something different. 104.6 exahashes per second with about 10 megabytes in the mempool comprising 6,254 6, unconfirmed transactions. And it looks like over the last 10 blocks, all the blocks are full. So nobody's playing any hokey over there. Okay, now uh, Clark Moody Bitcoin. We've got bitcoin.clarkmoody.com giving us the skinny for lightning network. The total capacity is 926 BTC. That represents $6.6 .6 million U.S. in liquidity. The total number of nodes, oh God, wait a minute, oh my God. Red letter day, y'all, 6,666. The number of the Bitcoin. Total channels is 36,268. Tor capacity is 383 BTC. And wow, that is a huge increase in the percentage of Tor capacity. We are now at 41.3%, whereas normally we're floating around 40%, right? So yeah, it's only a 1% increase, but considering how long I've been looking at this, that's a hell of a bump right there. The number of Tor nodes is 1,942. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to the snooze you can use number twos. Here we are going to start with Bitcoinist.com's Trevor Smith writing sometime this morning. Bitcoin investment vastly higher than assumed, new data suggests. <clears throat> the debate over Bitcoin's market strength continues, yet one analyst has released data indicating that investment in the flagship cryptocurrency has been considerably more substantial than previously thought. If true, it indicates that Bitcoin's price could soon rise dramatically. Hmm, the hopium. Take a hit of opium, bro. Plan B has made several observations recently, most notably regarding the remarkable correlation between Bitcoin's stock-to-flow ratio and its price. Most recently, he explains that for Bitcoin to have maintained a value of $7,000 US since October of 2017, $400 million per month has been invested. He has tweeted, and this is the quote from the direct from the tweet, to maintain $7,000 since October of 2017, Bitcoin must have had about $400 million in new cash inflow every month for the last two and a half years. 30 days times 24 hours times six blocks times 12.5 BTC times 7,000, assuming all trading is a zero-sum zero game. After the halving, we only need $200 million per month 
to keep $7,000 level. If 400 million stays, then, and he gives, you know, a hopium chart. And what are you going to do, man? You got to love the hopium. To clarify his statement, miners add 1,800 new Bitcoins to the total supply every day, most of which are sold. If each Bitcoin is worth $7,000, then just over $400 million per month of new investment has flowed into the market since October of 2017, just to keep the price from plummeting. With this fact in mind, after the block halving takes place, an additional $200 million will be added every, or will need to be added every day to Bitcoin's market value should investor interest remain unchanged. Notably, however, is the fact that a rapid increase in price would likely draw in new investors as well, causing the price to spike even higher. Such a large amount of new fiat moving into Bitcoin should have been more apparent. However, a number of factors could explain how it went unnoticed. For example, nobody knows the number of Bitcoins permanently frozen due to issues such as lost keys or wallet passwords. Also, the large amount of notoriously inaccurate exchange data could obfuscate Bitcoin's true market cap. A key takeaway from this observation is the fact that the impact of the reward having will not be trivial. Removing 900 BTC per day from production will reshape the market dynamics that have governed Bitcoin's value for the past four years. Likewise, the last major bull run saw massive gains in the altcoin market. God, you mean sh you spelled shitcoin wrong again? Come on, man. Bitcoin. Platforms such as Ethereum and Ripple became much more valuable and emerged as legitimate challengers to Bitcoin's hegemony. <laughs> legitimate. You spelled shitcoin wrong. Much has changed over the last three years, and the next big wave of investment could radically alter the role these cryptocurrencies plays in the overall space. Uh, there has recently been some concern over the lack of institutional investment in the crypto space. Nevertheless, given how much individual interest clearly exists, there is no question that the retail market remains strong. Importantly, much more investment in the value of existing Bitcoins is all but certain to soon take place. Such a move could transform Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies from objects of speculation into tools of real-world use. And really, honestly, you only need Bitcoin. But that's going to do it for this Bitcoinist article. Uh, Plan B's always got a nice hit of hopium, you know, waiting for us, especially on a Monday. It's always nice to see, even if it is just hopium. Do I? I mean, I don't know if it's going to happen or not. Honestly, come on. How many people have speculated one way or the other and been just terribly wrong? Okay, so. I just keep the stuff in my back pocket. It's, and I really like Plan B, which is 100 million USD or 100 trillion USD on Twitter. And I, I like, I like the, the analysis stuff that he's done, but I'm not going to bet my future on it. Don't bet your future on, on anything any, any one person says. Just keep it, keep it in your back pocket. Do your own research. Oh, good God. First U.S. bank fails amid coronavirus recession. A small West Virginia bank is the first to fall amid the coronavirus pandemic. It has been struggling since 2015. Bitcoin preppers were proven right once again yesterday when the first U.S. bank closed amid the economic collapse caused by the coronavirus. <clears throat> the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, the corporation that insures America's banks in case of fa failure, announced on Friday that a West Virginia bank the first state bank of Barbersville was closed by the West Virginia Division of Financial Institutions. The fallen bank was immediately bought by the MVB Bank, incorporated of Fairmont, West Virginia. Its four branches will reopen as branches of MVB Bank on Saturday, according to FDIC. <clears throat> the bank has been struggling with longstanding capital and asset quality issues since 2015, said the FDIC in its press release. <clears throat> A financial report at the end of 2019 indicated capital levels were way too low to allow continued operations under federal and state law. The FDIC insures each customer of doomed banks with up to $250,000. It has a $100 billion line of credit with the United States Treasury. MVB Bank bought up most of the bank's assets, but the closure will still cost the FDIC $46.8 million. The FDIC was set up to cover Americans in case of a bank run. It was set up in 1933 in the depths of the Depression and has ensured that American depositors have never lost a penny since. 
unless you store more than $250,000 in an institution and that institution goes belly up, in which case you are shit out of luck. Okay. So keep that shit in mind. Use multiple banks if you're that rich. Last week, the FDIC put out an infomercial advising people to not withdraw all their cash from banks amid the coronavirus pandemic. Oh my God. How hilarious. Quote, the last thing you should be doing is pulling your money out of the banks now, thinking that it's all going to be safe someplace else, said FDIC Chairman Jelena McWilliams. Quote, you don't want to be walking around with large wads of cash, and you certainly don't want to be hoarding cash in your mattress. It didn't pan out very well for so many people, and I will tell you this. No depositor has lost a penny of their insured deposit since 1933 when the FDIC was created. End quote. But it's Bitcoiners lucky day. As long as Bitcoin's alive and kicking, it can't fail. Its ledgers are distributed worldwide across a network of thousands of computers, and it's virtually impossible to hack its network. Of course, customers of exchanges and custodial wallets, the closest thing to crypto that crypto has to a bank, have lost hundreds of millions of dollars worth of crypto due to hacks and exit scams. Luckily, the FDIC backs some crypto organizations too. Okay, so listen. Uh, about that uh, hacking the network versus hacking a wallet. Th those things are very different. Do not make the mistake of thinking that that was double speak. <clears throat> okay. The network itself, because it's as distributed as it is, is nothing is impossible. An alien species could come down with alien technology and completely freeze all the computers on the face of the planet at, at one single time. And yet what would happen? You'd still have a copy of the blockchain in millions of places. Okay, so you could just reboot, you could reboot the whole thing. I would say you could just, but yeah, you could reboot the whole thing. All right. Now, if that technology included being able to wipe all da digital data off of every device all across the planet, you got a fucking problem. What's the likelihood of that happening? If if something like that happens, I guarantee you this, you got bigger problems than what's going on with Bitcoin, okay? <laughs> just just saying, Coinbase co-founder backs plan to save Ethereum's ass. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, to build crypto link between Bitcoin and Ethereum. Daily Hodel staff writing for the Daily Hodel sometime yesterday says, a project to build decentralized bridges between Bitcoin and Ethereum just received a multi-million dollar boost. The Keep Network says it has closed a $7.7 million funding round led by Paradigm Capital, an independent investor dealer led by Coinbase co-founder Fred Ersham, or Eshram, Ersam. Whatever, E-H-R-S-A-M, you say it. The private token sale also includes, Jesus, participation from Chinese venture capitalist fund, Fenbushi Capital and tech VC firm Collaborative Fund among, fund, among others. The Keep Network allows users to store their Bitcoin in a secure wallet and convert them into a token that runs on the Ethereum network. Jesus. You spelt stupid wrong. Bitcoin holders can then take advantage of the many applications running on the Ethereum blockchain. What, the ones that no one uses? For example, users can leverage the new token dubbed TBTC as collateral for loans on trading on margin. <laughs> to redeem their Bitcoin, users would simply have to exchange their TBTC for BTC through the Keep Network. Matt... Longo, founder of Keep, <clears throat> says that TBTC offers the best of Ethereum and Bitcoin. The hardiness of Bitcoin as a means of exchange while re oh, remains while exploiting Ethereum's supercomputing feature, which it actually doesn't have, by the way. The goal is to give Bitcoin the superpowers that smart contracts have on Ethereum and also to bring Bitcoin as collateral to decentralized finance. The company has not yet set a launch date for their scam, but says it will release TBTC in the coming weeks. Dude, I do, what, what can one say about this other than last ditch? I'm, okay, maybe not the last ditch attempt. Maybe this is the first ditch attempt to save Ethereum from burning, going down in flames. Because honestly, there's not anything that you can do on Ethereum that you can't do on Bitcoin. It's just that we're worried more about actual money security than we are about making loans to somebody who's not going to pay your ass back. 
that's what we're more, I mean, because honestly, what th this whole trading on margin <clears throat> and uh, making loans, uh, using your B your TBTC as collateral for loans, all that sounds like to me is like legacy financial system. That's all it sounds like to me. And honestly, fuck you. I don't need your shit. We've seen what we've seen the amount of wreckage that you've caused over the last hundred years and more. We don't need to see it again. I think we've all gotten our fill of the legacy financial system. I don't need it digitized into a program that can give you a finger by looking at a screen. The ticking time bomb of ICO class action suits. If you haven't heard, this is a good one. Why were a dozen class action lawsuits filed simultaneously Friday? The statute of limitations is running and there's blood in the water. This was written by Amy Castor for Decrypt.co. Sometime this morning, Richard B. Levine was right. For years, the fintech attorney and former Wall Street compliance officer has been predicting that class action lawsuits would be brought against companies and people involved in unregulated initial coin offerings. Quote, we have only likely begun to see the beginning of class action lawsuits filed relating to blockchain-related companies or companies that participated in ICOs. Ethereum, Ethereum, Ethereum. If you're holding Ethereum, leave, get out. <laughs> it's it's going to burn. Sorry. We believe it is highly likely other issuers of tokens will face class action lawsuits on Friday. Levin's prediction came true in spades. A New York law firm called class action lawsuits against nearly a dozen top crypto companies, including Binance, BitMEX, Civic, and Tron. The suit accuses them of issuing or trading unregistered securities in the form of digital tokens, but why did so many suits hit all at one time? Levin believes the recent actions were driven by the statute of limitations, which is two years from when the fraud was discovered, as well as recent U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission settlements involving ICOs that were deemed sales of unregistered securities. Specifically, he is referring to Block.1, one of the companies targeted in the recent lawsuits. In September, the Cayman Islands-based blockchain firm paid a $24 million penalty for the SEC, to the SEC for conducting an unregistered ICO that raised the equivalent of several billion dollars from mid-2017 to mid-2018. Quote, you were looking at the statute of limitations. Oftentimes, it in any action, one question is, when do we have to file by? <laughs> Levin told Decrypt on Sunday, quote, if you look at the amount of capital that was raised in the sale of the digital assets and the number of people that bought, it creates basically a large pool of potential claimants, which looks similar to class actions, end quote. As far as the Block 1 settlement was concerned, while not binding on the court in the class action, the plaintiffs will argue Block.1 sold securities in violation of U.S. securities law. The lawsuits filed Friday were hardly the first class action cases brought before or brought against crypto companies. Class action lawsuits were filed against companies almost as soon as ICOs became a thing in 2017. Bezos, BitConnect, Centratech, and others have been sued. But this recent spate of class action suits could signal a new open season on many more of the players who got rich during the 2017-18 ICO boom. There's blood in the water. Levin said he's been reading instances of some people that some people think Friday's lawsuits will be dismissed quickly. He doesn't agree. He believes the lawsuits could drag on for years and drain some of these companies of most of the money they raised in their token offerings. I think there will be a substantial period of litigation, he said. Roche Serialink Friedman, a 15-attorney law firm with substantial experience in crypto, filed the suits in federal court uh, in or sorry, federal district court in New York against 11 companies and 42 defendants. <clears throat> the recently launched litigation boutique has offices in New York, Miami, and is the same firm that a New York federal judge appointed lead counsel in a Bitcoin market manipulation case against Bitfinex and Tether. In the unlikely event that triple damages are awarded, that suit is worth $1.4 trillion. That's trillion with a T. Levin was not surprised by the barrage of civil suits the firm filed. Quote, our law firm warned people for years, he said. I've been doing blockchain for nine years and I warned people probably going back nine years that most digital assets being issued were going to be deemed securities by the SEC, end quote. 
In his blog post two years ago, Levin said that class action suits were the new frontier in the cryptocurrency space. That was about the time regulators were starting to crack down on ICOs, which startups were using to raise hundreds of millions and in some cases even billions of dollars of funding, i.e. EOS. Levin believed the chance of any of the recent class action suits getting dismissed is slim. Dismissal of a case is an extraordinary remedy, he said. I don't believe the court will dismiss the cases, and I also do not believe the courts are going to grant motions for a summary judgment either on behalf of the plaintiffs or the defendants. Instead, he sees some, if not all, of the cases going to trial before a judge or a jury. That's not to say issues won't arise along the way. For one, the dozens of defendants named in the lawsuits are spread out across 16 different countries. Holy smokes, man. Quote, the location of the company that issued the digital asset will be an issue of dispute, he said. Also at issue is whether the party sold the digital asset to U.S. citizens and whether the federal court in the U.S. is the proper location for resolution. But ultimately, the lawsuits could take a heavy toll on the companies being sued. Quote, I suspect that issuers of digital assets that raised hundreds of millions or even billions of dollars will be looking at spending a fair amount of their funds on defending these actions, said Levin. He also believes the lawsuit will cast a cloud over all of the digital assets named in the suits going forward. Anyone trading those tokens is now on notice that at least some purchasers believe that they were sold illegal securities, and they were willing to sue for damages. Now, let's just do that one more time. Anyone trading those tokens, i.e. shit coins, is now on notice that at least some purchasers believe that they were sold illegal securities. They don't believe they were. They were. They were sold illegal securities. All of this shit. If if you think altcoin season is coming, you're probably right. Just not in the way that you wanted it. And neither did these people. The Bitcoin mining mystery over Nintendo's cooking mama, Cookstar. Accusations targeting an innocent cooking game as a malicious Bitcoin miner have been debunked by Twitter sleuths. Oh, thank God. Because cooking mama... Cookstar. I just needed it, dude. I needed it. This was written sometime today by Will Heisman for Decrypt.co after an innocuous cooking game was mysteriously pulled by Nintendo last month. Concerns arose that it might have been a covert Bitcoin mining scam. Further, the app was slated to adopt blockchain technology. But experts say that neither of these were true and had nothing to do with the game's removal. Here's all we know about the strange saga of Cooking Mama Cookstar. Released on March the 26th, the Switch game was on the Nintendo eShop for only a few hours before being taken down. Rumors quickly sprouted. One particular accusation was that the game was harnessing Nintendo Switch devices to mine Bitcoin. (laughs) Good luck. The circulating tweet explains that the game causes the Switch to overheat and the battery to fail. Quote, this is urgent. Apparently, if you own Cooking Mama Cookstar, uninstall that one immediately. It's using your system to mine cryptocurrency, reads a tweet. The game's developers, first playable, quickly refuted the claims. Quote, as the devs, we can say with certainty that there is no cryptocurrency or data collection or blockchain or anything else shady in the code. (laughs) Shady. The Nintendo Switch is a very safe platform with none of the data and privacy associated with some mobile and PC games, said First Playable in a statement. A few months prior to the release, the publisher of the game, Planet Digital Partners, revealed that Cooking Mama would be incorporating blockchain tech. According to Game Rant, each copy would hold a unique ID supporting improved digital rights management, a popular copyright system for games. It was this edition that apparently ignited the crypto mining accusation. Nevertheless, Claims of failing batteries and overheating seem most, mostly unsubstantiated, although one Twitter user suggested that it could have resulted from the sloppy removal of the blockchain DRM system. However, per the developers, no blockchain integration was attempted at all, and if it was, they weren't aware of it. <laughs> that just sounds weird. Like what, somebody else got a hold of your code before you released it, added blockchain, and then sent it back to you, and you released it not... Bullshit. That's complete bullshit. Whatever. Quote, blockchain was never brought up to us developers and we were entitled to hear about it late 2019. Not happening anytime soon, end quote, they said. 
Looking to debunk the speculation, one reverse engineer delved into the game, finding no evidence of malicious code. After some RE work, I can safely say there is no crypto miner blockchain stuff anywhere within Cooking Mama Cookstar's code, he said. Per another Twitter sleuth, the real reason Nintendo pulled the game may have been far less dramatic than first assumed. Quote, a few of the BGM tracks in Cooking Mama Cookstar were ripped directly from YouTube, they wrote. <laughs> the Twitter Audi revealed that several background music tracks within the game were ripped from YouTube. Oh, God, convening copyright law. The game's publishers are yet to confirm, but the game sure managed to cook up a storm. Get it? God, that should be the bad joke for today. But that's going to do it for the snooze you can use. All right, guys, before we get into the daily train wreck, we're going to do a little community announcement here. Um, over Since I've been doing the sh- recording the show this morning, um, I've had two instances uh, where a scam account uh, masquerading as River Financial is uh, uh, starting to follow people. The first one, let me see if I can pull this one up. Uh, do, 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 do. The first one that I got, I was followed by something with the avatar for River Financial and the same um, the same banner for their Twitter account. Everything, I mean, almost everything about it is the same, obviously, except for the actual Twitter handle. At financial underscore river is not River Financial. I blocked them and I reported them. All, and then, okay... It's not so bad when it's just one, but uh, that was right before I started recording the show. And let's see, I am 56 minutes into the show right now, somewhere around there. And I've just looked over at my uh, tweet deck and I've got, uh, oh God, uh, Tommy Tommy or Tommy Tomate or Tommy Tomate at T-H-O-M-M-Y-T-O-M-A-T-E. He actually responded to me saying that he was just followed, but it was a different handle. So he took a screen cap. I'm looking at it and it says the exact same shit. It's River Financial. It has the exact same banner for River Financial and it has the exact same avatar for River Financial. But this one is at River Financial one, right? That is not, that is not River Financial. River Financial's actual handle is at river financial period okay in fact i'm going to check that out hold on for a sec just want to make absolutely certain river yes the actual uh thing for river the handle for river financial is at river financial all one word there's no underscores there's no leading underscores. There's no overscores. There's no numbers. There's no jack. They ain't jack shit, but at River Financial. So at River Financial one is a fraud account. All right. And because they are impersonating a financial company, um, you do them and yourself and other people a favor and report River Finance at River Financial one and um at financial underscore river. Okay. And keep your, keep your eyes out for anybody who's impersonating river financial, because that could be really bad for some people might want to, you know, do the community thing and give, give them a hand. Um, okay. Now that's one kind of train wreck. And here's another one. Uh, crypto, this one daily train wreck is brought to you by crypto Rothbard. Uh, without further ado, I'm excited to announce the winner of the first annual Crypto Charlatan of the Year Awards. This year, the crown goes to the one and only OG turned chick coin shill, Trace Mayer, with a whopping 32% of the vote. You earned it, Trace. Oh, wow. Isn't that just sad? Considering that Trace Mayer was up, he, who, okay, who came in second? A junkie, John McAfee, a, a drugged out junkie ass old man who is nothing but a scammer actually lost to Trace Mayer as a crypto charlatan of the year, 2019 to 2020. 
Who came in third? Richard Hart Wynn. So Trace Mayer beat John McAfee and Richard Hart Wynn as the best charlatan of the year. I went back to Trace Mayer's Twitter account and he has not tweet, tweeted a thing. He has not forwarded a thing. I, he hasn't replied to anything. There's been no Twitter activity since February 24. I haven't heard a thing. Has, have you heard anything out of Trace Mayer since February the 24th? That's, guys, that's a long time ago at this point. That's over, that's well over a month. Well over a month. Okay. So, um, it's, I, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm floored that somebody with the cred that Trace Mayer had, I talk about it all the time, how, um, reputations in this space are flammable, but holy shit, this was like nuclear material going fissile, dude. I'm, it, I've never seen any, I've, I've seen people burn their shit down. But I've never seen anything like this. I've never seen anybody who's been in the space that long that had garnered that much trust, that had become that beloved, burn it all down in a day. It only took a weekend, y'all. I mean, and honestly, I think most of the damage was done in the probably in the first eight hours. But I've never I've never seen that before. I mean, I've I've seen lots of people burn their reputations, but I've never seen anything this flammable. This is like detonation cord. If you don't know what debt cord is, just type it up and watch some YouTube videos. It's actually kind of kind of pleasant to watch. Anyway, that's going to do it for your daily train wreck. Now, thank God we have something funny, and I went back to bad dad jokes instead of dad says jokes. And bad dad jokes says, I find the history of shipbuilding riveting. That's the whole punchline, is the entire, the whole thing. Again, I, I find beauty in bad jokes because this one includes everything in it in one sentence. It's got the setup. It's got the punchline. All in a sentence. Not two separate sentences. Not a discussion going on where the very last line makes you go, oh God, I'm, I'm in pain. No, this whole thing was a train wreck from beginning to end. So there's, there, your, there's your terrible joke corner. Uh, chicken report. Chickens are doing well. I have now moved them from a small plastic chicken tractor to the one that I built because they are gaining that much size that I needed to actually move them up into the world. And they are on their third part of my lawn. And my God, the amount of scratching activity that these guys do is is phenomenal. So we are like week seven, I think, maybe week six of this whole thing. Probably maybe just week five to week six, somewhere around there. And they have discovered the joys of taking a dirt bath. Now, I don't know if you know this about birds and chickens, but they will, um, at least chickens and several different kinds of birds, but chickens especially like to take dirt baths where they scrape up dust and rain it try and kick it up and rain it down all over the inside of their wings on their head on their back they roll around in it and it's sort of like why cats do the shit because it keeps fleas off right but my god them some dirty birds and my my daughter is now taken to calling them salty that's good that's good for these birds they are in fact rather salty and dirty, but they're outside. They are kicking ass. They are on grass. They are doing their chicken thing. Um, I feel like we're doing a pretty good job. And so far, honestly, it's been really easy. You know, it's like, kind of like, did you feed the dog? Did you feed the cat? Did you feed the chickens? Did you let the dog outside? You know, did you change the kitty's litter box? You know, it's honestly, it's not all that different. Not yet, not to say that it won't get that way, but I'm saying that for like week five, week six, it's basically been almost not adding anything at all to, you know, daily chores. So if you're considering chickens, uh, time is running out to get your chicks unless you order them from a hatchery um, that will do it all year round. But if you have a tractor supply or um, oh, there's another uh, Jeebos, Jeebos. 
which is spelled G-E-B-O apostrophe S. Gebo's and Tractor Supply both have versions of Chick Days. And I believe time is running out. As of today, it may already be too late. But the last time I was in Gebo's last week, they still had chicks for sale. If you're planning on doing it, it, they're a lot of fun. I Go ahead and do it. They're a lot of fun to watch. They're fairly easy to take care of. It's not that big of a deal. So I highly recommend it. And if you get them to survive for 16 to 18 weeks, or maybe it's 20, I can't remember when they start laying, but let's say, let's go ahead and cut it in the middle. We'll say 18 weeks, you start getting fresh eggs that are better, unless you're feeding them pure shit, but that are better than anything that you're going to find in a store. And hey, I can barely find eggs in my store right now. And it's been that way for weeks. So I'm, I kind of can't wait. Anyway, it's Monday. Y'all be careful out there. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.